following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have lots to give away for free, and we really enjoy doing that, so see us at the Connection Kiosk after the service. If you don't have anything with you right now at the moment to follow along, we will have the scriptures on the screens for you, okay? Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew 9, verse 14. What we're doing, we're continuing and finishing our two-week mini-series. It's called Desperate, and uh, we are talking about cultivating a deeper hunger for the Lord. Last week, we looked at the story of Jacob wrestling God at Jabbok, and uh, we drew out some principles to help us understand the value of humbly acknowledging that each one of us desperately needs God, whether we are aware of it or not. Charles Spurgeon once said, he who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. And that might seem to your ear like a harsh or maybe an abstract statement, but uh, I'm going to ask for your help so we can see this clearly. So I need somebody that's really brave in here to shout out right now the best food you've ever eaten. Go ahead, tell me. I heard pizza, and whoever said that was very excited about it. So we're going to go with pizza. Who was that? Who was pizza? Okay. (laughs) All right. Now, (laughs) that's awesome. Okay. Now, do you ever think about pizza I'm still talking to you. Do you ever think about pizza and want more? That's a yes, okay? Why? Because it's delicious. And how do you know that it's delicious? Because you've tasted it. It's always risky to do stuff like that, but you get a triple gold star rating because all the answers I anticipated are the ones you gave. So thank you. I did not plant her. Give her a hand. That was really brave. It's scary to talk in front of people. Okay. Thank you, sister. Okay, so Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. King David in one time exclaimed, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Now, when he said that, there were some mighty men of valor. That's what the Bible calls them. They crossed enemy lines, risking their lives to go get that water from that well because they loved their leader and wanted to bless him. But that's not the point. The point of what we're here to talk about is that the Lord is much like that sweet water from the well that David longed for. And and the more that we taste of his goodness, the sweeter and the sweeter that it gets. And so it's not odd for us to speak in terms, because the scriptures do, of, of this idea of hunger and thirst for the Lord and tasting his goodness. There's a lot of language in the scripture that helps us to try to conceptualize uh, in practical language, what it means to draw closer to him and to enjoy him more, to uh, understand and to sense his love and presence. So uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about cultivating those things. And so in line with that, we talked last week about how the basic spiritual disciplines of prayer and studying the scriptures and gathering with God's people and worship, these are some of the ways for us to taste that sweetness and to, at the same time, cultivate a deeper hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. Uh, We also mentioned one more last week, and I told you that we would expound on that this week, and that is the spiritual discipline of fasting. And uh, there are a lot of misconceptions and fears for many people when it comes to fasting. 
And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a good, long look at it together, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us, okay? So I asked you to go to Matthew 9. I hope you're there. I'm going to start in verse 14, and we're just going to read to verse 17 together, okay? Here we go. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, now... First of all, I praise God for his word. Secondly, verses 16 and 17, they seem a little bit out of place, right? John's disciples are coming to challenge Jesus about why his disciples aren't fasting. And then he goes into this deal about old cloth on a new garment and vice versa and, and new wine into old wineskins. And so what's, what's the deal with that? It's, it's really not out of place because what Jesus is pointing to is the fact that the fasting of John's disciples and the fasting of the Pharisees was motivated and came out of Old Testament law. And so in Old Testament law, there was set days for fasting. It was prescribed, not just described. And so there was more of a, a sense of duty along with that. And Jesus is saying, what he's saying about a lot of things throughout his preaching about the kingdom is that something new is coming. <laughs> that new thing that's coming is me. I'm inaugurating a new covenant. Not that the old covenant didn't have value. Jesus same, he said he came to fulfill the new covenant, right? Every Every jot and tittle of that was going to be fulfilled in him, but that we were going to move into this new way of fasting. It was going to be different than it was before. So he's still talking about the same thing. And that is helpful for us in, in setting our mindset. We'll talk more about that as we go. So in, in speaking of the spiritual discipline of fasting, uh, I've tried to just think through and pray through some really practical questions. I'm trying to not assume I know there's a wide spectrum in here. There's some of you that have probably fasted a lot, and you know a lot about it. You've studied a lot about it. There's some of you that maybe this will be one of the first sermons you've ever heard on it because it's not super popular, and so you don't get a lot of sermons on it. And so we're just going to walk through, and, and some of this may seem basic to some of you, but uh, we're going to rejoice in even the most basic truths and uh, just continue to learn together and be encouraged maybe in things we already know. So the first question is, that I'm going to posed to us is, should we fast? It's a pretty solid question. Should we do that? Well, the New Testament stops short of commanding that followers of Jesus fast. And so we should stop short of commanding that people fast. You always get in trouble when you try to go farther than the Bible does. And, and a lot of times people have good intentions when they do that. But the Bible does not give New Testament followers of Jesus a command to fast. However, Jesus did fast himself uh, for 40 days after his baptism. And so if we're Christians, we're seeking to be Christ-like, we're following after Jesus, then uh, it would, you know, it wouldn't be a far stretch for us to look at that example and say, okay, well, I want to follow that. Not necessarily the 40 days part, but just the fasting part. And a very strong case can be made from two different places that Jesus assumed his followers would practice fasting. One is right here. Okay, when he says the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay, so there's some debate about what it means when he's talking about the bridegroom being taken away from them. Uh, some have said, well, we think that only 
means like the three days between his death upon the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. And I, I could see how somebody could get there. It doesn't, that doesn't seem to be the way the disciples took it because the first occurrence we see of them fasting, I think, is Acts 10. The point is, it wasn't that they did a bunch of fasting just the three days between Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a, it became a practice from the point of his death on through his ascension and now the church age. Okay, so uh, it seems that the disciples thought he meant we would be fasting after Jesus ascends. Uh, we know he's coming back, hallelujah, but for now he sits at the right hand of the Father. So that seems to fit best with, with, with what's being talked about there. So, but, but the point is, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So if it's talking about the church age, and, and Jesus says, and then they will fast, that's us, okay? <laughs> that's us right now, okay? The second one is in Matthew 6.16, 6, uh, when Jesus is preaching the longest sermon that we have from him. And he says, uh, he gives some, dis some uh, instructions about fasting. And when he does it, he doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. And then he goes on to give instructions about, you know, not purposely looking like you're fasting, not trying to get people's attention when you're fasting. But uh, because if you do get people's attention and everyone's really impressed with you, then he says, that's basically the end of your reward. So uh, that's not the way we want to do it. But the, the point I'm making is he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So it seems in the way Jesus talks about fasting and his followers, there was an assumption on his part. He didn't go so far at any point that we have recorded in the New Testament to say, if you follow me, you will fast. You need to fast and, and say it as a commandment, like a prescriptive. But we have pretty strong descriptive language here and an assumption from the master that we would. That's good enough for me. I'm going to put that then in a yes column that followers of Jesus should fast. Okay? What should we fast? What should we fast? Well, that depends on who you ask. There are those who will point to the fact that the Hebrew word for fast is to cover the mouth, and that the Greek word for fast is very clearly to abstain from food. In addition to that, the vast majority of instances in the scripture tied to the word fasting, it's tied to either eating less, eating nothing, or eating specific things. And so they conclude from these three points that fasting can only be done by limiting food intake, all right? However, here at Love City, we believe the scriptures allow for a broader definition. And one place we see this is in 1 Corinthians 7, okay? So this text is discussing sex within the covenantal context of marriage. And here's what we see. This is verse 5, 1 Corinthians 7. It says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so Paul here is clearly giving the idea that a married couple can agree that we're going to abstain from having sex for a certain amount of time to focus on prayer, to focus on connecting with Jesus. That seems to be something not only that he was saying is okay, but that people would do. And so uh, just quickly, if you're married and fasting food is now sounding like a really good option, raise your hand. Okay. I actually didn't think anyone would raise their hand, but I appreciate your honesty, sir. <laughs> uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones offered a really helpful definition of fasting. I think we can affirm based on what scripture reveals about fasting. This is what he said. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual 
purpose. So that's a key. If you, any theologian that you read, anybody that really tackles the idea and concept of fasting from a theological perspective, you see this emphasis and this understanding. It's for a special spiritual purpose. If not, if it's not kind of consecrated and set upon uh, something specific before the Lord, it's really just going hungry or really just self-denial and has no value in and of itself. And so there's something specific it should be tied to. Uh, what, what this doesn't mean, what th- this definition I gave you from Martin Lloyd-Jones or the fact that I'm saying, I think for us here, we're okay with a broader definition of fasting that doesn't have to just be limiting food intake. Uh, what it doesn't mean is that you can fast things that God already forbids because he loves us and call it fasting. Okay, so you can't fast sins, right? So if you aren't married um, or don't, and, and don't intend to be or you're not yet married, you're not fasting sex by abstaining. You're simply obeying the Lord, okay? So you haven't been on a fast for however many years you've stayed abstinent. Uh, I've really actually heard, I know this may sound silly to some of you, but I've heard people say, well, I'm going to fast gossip or I'm going to fast some other thing that God's word clearly teaches is a sin. That's not fasting, okay? That is simple obedience, okay? Now, t- to be clear, I want you to hear me. Uh, stop listening to and spreading gossip if you're doing that, okay? I'm just saying don't call it a fast because <laughs> it's not, all right? That's just obedience to the Lord. Now, if you're here and you're a stickler for language and you know the Hebrew is about closing the mouth and the Greek's about abstaining from food and that's a big deal for you and you don't think uh, you know, anything other than abstaining from food should be called fasting, you know, we love you. It's fine. You can call it self-denial for a spiritual purpose. If somebody's doing something other than fasting, that's fine. There's room for you here, but we're going to use fasting as an umbrella term. Okay. In this sermon. And just so you know, that's, that's how we're going to deal with it. Okay. So there you go. If you're really angry about it, email me later and we can argue. It'll be fun. Okay. Uh, (laughs) so the truth is, I know this is true. There, there, There are many of you here who are already very disciplined, with your eating and and fasting food would not be nearly as powerful in denying your flesh as perhaps uh, taking time away from social media or or some other kind of entertainment or hobby. Uh, For some of you, that would have a much greater impact. Uh, And and I also want to say, make sure we're clear that some people should not fast food because of various medical conditions, which make it unsafe. Diabetes comes to mind. There are others. Uh, and there are also some, this is, this is very important for us to say, there are some whose mental health has been affected by the world's hyper-focus on body image and weight, and so it may not be safe or healthy for them to abstain from eating or restrict their diet. We want to make sure we say that. We have a lot of grace for that. And while we're on the subject of kind of the mentality surrounding Fasting, I have seen this happen more often than not uh, when a group of people are thinking about fasting or trying to uh, go forward on a fast together. It, it just, it so quickly can turn into condemnation, which is just really, really tragic. That is not the point here. The point here is not for us to have this sermon about fasting. Uh, and, and if you didn't already catch on, I'm going to call everyone to a fast towards the end of this thing. So get ready. Uh, if you want to try to dip out, you know, make up an emergency or whatever, you got time about 20 minutes. Uh, but if you don't and you're here, we're, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push us towards fasting something, each one of us. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's just so important that you don't um, g- 
just get real super motivated and set some super high bar, and then if you don't meet that bar, end up in condemnation about it, okay? So don't leave out of here, cut your hand, and take some blood oath to the Lord that you're not going to eat for the next 60 days, okay? But, so, but I want to balance that with don't go out of here and say, you know, I'm going to fast gossip, right? Because that's, that's not real either. So there's, there's a balance to be found, but also some of you maybe have fasted long periods of time, and this is not something that's going to be very difficult for you to step into, and, and, and you already know what to expect, and so praise the Lord. For some of you, maybe you've never tried this before, and it may be kind of an up and down. You've got to kind of ease your way into this spiritual discipline. There's room for all of that, and none of this is about Jesus isn't going to love anybody more or less depending on how long they fast or what they fast or how dedicated they are. Okay, Jesus loves us because he loves us, and he did that before we did anything good or bad. Amen? Amen. While we were yet sinners, before you ever thought about fasting... He loved us. Amen. Okay, so don't get in condemnation over this. That is totally the opposite of the point. All right? Amen. Satan would really like to ruin this for you and it not be something that's life-giving, which is what God intends for it to be. Something that's going to be a benefit for you individually, for us as a church, and for the kingdom of God as a whole. Amen. All right. So the next question is, what is the purpose of fasting? Okay? And I, there's more than one. The first kind of chief purpose coincides with our chief purpose as humans. I'm going to draw that from Isaiah 43, verse 7. Here the Lord says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God made us for his glory. And so we fast primarily and firstly to glorify God. But the secondary purposes. Uh, there, there are secondary purposes that we see as well throughout the scriptures. And so I'm going to give you some of those purposes uh, that we see play out from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the first I'll give you is that we see many occasions of people fasting as a form of mourning, okay? Like sadness over tragedy or loss. David comes to mind, the death of his son, fast for several days. There's many other accounts throughout scripture in times of sadness that people would fast. Uh, also, not just mourning over a tragedy or a loss, but also mourning over their own sin. Uh, when Jonah comes and preaches to Nineveh, uh, the king calls a fast. Everybody puts on sackcloth. Everybody, they even made the animals fast, which, you know, I definitely don't want you to not feed your goldfish all this next week for the Lord, okay? That's, don't force your animals into a fast at home. Like, oh, I'm going to save money on dog food this week. No, no, no. That's not good, Okay. But Nineveh did it and, and whatever. So I don't know. They were really bummed about their sin. So fasting can also be a way to uh, step into and, and really show the depth of repentance. And uh, if, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, that, I don't understand any of that. I, if you can't imagine why somebody would mourn over their own sin, then I would humbly submit to you that maybe fasting and asking God to reveal why that makes sense would be really helpful. Um, because though we are forgiven, though we are redeemed by grace through faith, uh, there should never be a point where our own sin and our own treason against God's kingship doesn't bother us to the, to the point that mourning is an accurate word. It should bother us. And that should help motivate us to continue to grow in grace and sanctification. Uh, number two, so the first was mourning uh, over tragedy, mourning over our own sin, repentance. 
That all kind of wrapped into one. The second is to humble ourselves before God. Uh, we see King Ahab do this, a very wicked king in 1 Kings 21. Uh, just gets to the point where he realizes uh, how terrible he's been in terms of his rebellion against God. And uh, in, in a way, in an attempt to not just verbally say how much he wanted to humble himself before the Lord, he, he fasted. And uh, that was for a fairly long duration. And so it's a way to just, it's a way to humble ourselves because as we deny ourselves, it, it does something very good for us. It, it takes, we have a tendency as humans to throne ourselves, <laughs> to put ourselves upon a high seat that where we feel very entitled to whatever demand um, our precious little minds or bodies feel they want at that moment. And uh, we live in a culture that, reinforces that uh, and will sell you whatever that thing is on sale twice, <laughs> you know? So um, we, we struggle with consumerism. If, if you've been born in the West in the last 150 years, which I'm assuming most of you here are, I don't see any mummies, um, you've been baptized in consumerism as a philosophy. And so uh, we need that humbling effect at times and to, to fast helps cultivate that. Uh, the third thing I'm going to give you is, we're talking about purposes for fasting, to express love and worship to God. There's a woman by the name of Anna, and you see her life story summarized in Luke chapter 2, verse 37. Here's what it says about her. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And so fasting before the Lord is, is, is one way, it's another way to express love and worship to God. He receives it that way, uh, which means that's a legitimate form of worship. Uh, the fourth I'm going to give you is fasting for God's direction and for help in discerning his will. In Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas, uh, they fast and they pray before they appoint elders in the church they had planted. So they had this big decision of establishing leadership in this church. What do they do? They fast and they pray, seeking for God's wisdom in that selection process. Uh, in Judges 20, the 11 tribes, 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel were defeated in battle twice before they sought the Lord with fasting and then heard a cleared word from him on how to proceed. So they, they went into battle, got schwacked, went into battle again, got messed up. Then they decided maybe we should fast and pray and seek God's will. And when they did that, they then had the victory. And so there's something to uh, subduing and quieting the voices of your own flesh, your own will, your own desires in order to attune your ear to the will, desires, and voice of the Lord. And so fasting is a very valuable part of seeking to understand God's will and direction. Anybody in here feel like ever you could use a little bit more clarity in terms of God's will and direction and what you should do? Anybody other than me? Lots of times, all the time. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. The fifth I'm going to give you uh, purpose for fasting is to subdue and deny our flesh. The Bible teaches that we are justified and made righteous by grace through faith in Christ, but we still have a process of being sanctified where God continues to form and shape us into the image of Christ. And so to be saved by grace does not mean we will not have any remnant of our old sinful ways. And this remnant 
is referred to in the scriptures as the flesh. And so many times you, you know, there's, and there's been movements uh, within Christianity and probably just on the outskirts of it throughout time that have like demonized the body itself, right? And got into a lot of self, like self-flagellation and, uh, and, you know, self-abuse and stuff like that, trying to basically thinking that, that when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about like the fact that you have a body. That's not the point. The point is we have this remnant of old thinking and old ways and old behaviors that is God is continuing to shape and form as we submit to the process of sanctification by the power of his spirit. Uh, and, and fasting is a very valuable weapon in that fight. I'm going to read you from Galatians just to give you some proof of what I just said, that I didn't just make all that up, okay? This is Galatians. Uh, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And that last line is, is pretty helpful there. there there's, there's folks that have said, well... You know, they'll, they'll look at some scriptures in 1 John and they'll, they'll not think through the rest of the context. And there's people that come to the conclusion that perfection is possible this side of eternity. That Christians should reach a place of thought, heart, and behavioral perfection in that sanctification process on this side of heaven. And uh, that's interesting because it was, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this in Galatians. It's also the Apostle Paul who wrote the little tidbit in Romans where he talks about wretched man that I am, right? That I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I, I do want to do. There is this struggle. There is this reality that we are not perfected yet. That is coming. There is a day where the battle with the flesh and, and temptations both inward and outward will be over and all enemies of King Jesus and his children will be vanquished forever. That day is coming. It's not yet. And so in the meantime, God uses that very process of us fighting that battle to shape us and mold us and prepare us for that glorious eternity that we're headed to and that we sang about just a few minutes ago. Amen. Fasting is a very effective weapon in the battle against sinful thoughts and actions that still hide within our hearts, okay? Um, not just what I read you, but we can also look back to Jesus' example. He was baptized, and then he went into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days. Uh, at the end of that, it says he was hungry, not thirsty. And so uh, there, most theologians assume Jesus was drinking water at that point. There are two miraculous fasts recorded, Moses and Elijah, uh, where based on what the text says, we're made to understand they did not drink water or eat food for 40 days. Uh, that is not something you should go try, okay? The human body is designed not much more than three days without water. I'm not saying God couldn't come and do some special thing with you, hide you in a cleft of a rock, or do something with you and supernaturally give you the ability to do that. But unless he makes it real clear that's what he's doing with you, don't try to do the 40 days with no water thing, okay? Uh, I have known people personally that have done 40 days with no food. And uh, though I'm sure it was difficult, I I've never... The people that I know that have done that, I'm not one of them. <laughs> uh, 
uh, it'd be cool, but haven't done it yet. They didn't have anything negative to say about the experience. I'm, I'm sure there was parts where hunger was, was a real deal and uh, it was hard, but at the end of it, they were, they were thankful and really felt like they had breakthrough in their life as a result. So uh, the point here is, though, that when Jesus fasted in the wilderness, it was right before the temptation we see where Satan comes and tries to uh, tempt him to, you know, first of all, turn a rock into bread and then tempt him to serve him so that he can be master of all the kingdoms of the earth. I don't know if Satan just, just, you know, didn't get much sleep that night or what, but he was already talking to the king of the whole universe. I'm not sure what he thought he was offering him, but uh, I digress on that. Um, you know, and so these temptations come and, and we see that every single time you don't get the sense that Jesus even flinched. He came off this 40 day fast filled with the power of the spirit and was just smacking the devil back with each of those temptations, preaching right back at him, the word of God and shut him down. And so that's part of what I'm telling you is, uh, you know, we, and until you take a real serious stab at fasting, it's actually hard to know to some degree how ruled you are by the flesh until you tell your flesh to shut up. And I know the kid, you know, I can't say that in kids class, but I think it's mostly adults in here as sometimes what you need to do is tell your flesh to shut up. And when you do, <laughs> you'll find and begin to realize how much you just run off instinct. How many times you just kind of, you just do whatever and don't even know what's running you uh, until you start telling it no. And so there's a lot of growth that happens in that process. And that's a good thing. Okay. So those are the purposes for fasting. That wasn't an exhaustive or comprehensive list. There's other things we could talk about, uh, but... I'm assuming uh, you guys don't want to stay here all week and talk about fasting. So we'll keep moving. Next question, when should we fast? When should we fast? Well, here's the good news. We can fast anytime. There were commanded times for God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, uh, when they should fast, Day of Atonement, different uh, holidays and days marking things that God had done. But God has not given his church the same commands in the New Testament. So we're free to fast anytime. Uh, there were some teachings in the Didache. That's an early Christian document. That It's one of the earliest documents we have that gives us an idea of window into the practices of the early church. And in the Didache, it, it is pretty clear that early Christians often were fasting, many of them on Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, there was a point where John Wesley, uh, the kind of the great circuit writer that started the, the Methodist movement, he actually would not ordain uh, ministers to the Methodist uh, movement with unless they did fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, I, I have, there's a lot to appreciate about John Wesley, and I'm not trying to talk smack about him at all, but I, I would feel very dangerous making that a law or making that a rule that you have to do that. But a lot of early Christians fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, which, you know, whatever, that's a great practice if you want to grab a hold of it. But if not, you can do Tuesdays and Thursdays. Praise God, we're free in Christ, right? <laughs> Mondays, Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays. Pick your day. Pick all the days. You're free in Christ. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to say it again. You're free in Christ. Woo! I just like how that sits. Okay. Amen. How long should we fast? Okay. There are fasts described of various lengths in the scriptures. You see people fast for a day, three days, 21 days, 40 days. But here's what we need to understand. These Lengths of time that are given to us in the scriptures, those are descriptive and not prescriptive. Let me explain that to you. It's very important for understanding 
the Bible and how we apply it to our lives to understand the difference between a descriptive verse and a prescriptive verse. And a lot of people, times people get those mixed up and it leads to a lot of trouble. Okay, a descriptive verse is, is you know, now that I'm going to lay it out for you, you're going to say, oh, well, that makes sense. It's not that complicated. It's describing something that happened. It's telling you that David did fast for this many days or that Moses did fast for this many days. It's not saying you go do this. It's not prescribing for you to do that action. A prescriptive verse is something that is telling you do this or don't do this. Spur each other on to love and good works. That's a prescriptive verse. That's a command, right? Uh, and there's so many more. So these descriptions of how many days people fasted or how often, those are not commands for us. It's just letting us know what happened. And so what does that mean? Again, it means you're free in Christ. We can fast one meal uh, for many days or even for weeks. We can fast all the meals for many days or for weeks. The length and the type of fast is not as important as making sure our purpose and motives are in line with God's. Okay. And as I said earlier, it, I don't, I don't think it even has to be food. Uh, we see that in first Corinthians seven and, and elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do on autopilot as a result of fleshly impulses that we could lay down or set aside or shut down for a while that would help us in the process of growing in Christ's likeness and would cultivate a deeper hunger and thirst for the Lord, right? Part of why we're focusing on fasting in a mini-series about cultivating deeper and hunger for the, and thirst for the Lord is there is just this plain and simple reality that oftentimes our hunger and thirst for more of Jesus is quieted because we shove anything and everything into those holes that only Christ can fill. That is a perennial issue for humanity. Well, I don't think I struggle with that. Come meet me afterwards. If I talk to you for 10 minutes, I can help you understand that you probably struggle with that. Maybe you don't see it yet, but all of us fall prey to this temptation to try to put something else in the place of God, to find joy, contentment, purpose, these things that only God can truly provide uh, in something else. And so uh, fasting will help us see those, identify them. And, uh, you know, I read you Galatians, but the, 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 the scripture gets even more savage in the way it talks about how we deal with the flesh and how we deal with our sinful tendencies. It gets to the point where it talks about crucifying that stuff, putting that stuff to death. Okay, it's not play with it, not make peace with it, kill it. That's what the Bible's calling us to. And fasting will help you do that. If any part of you is tired of being a slave to the flesh, a slave to fleshly lusts and all this type of stuff, this, this sermon's for you. This spiritual practice is for you. This is part of how God has ordained for his people to love him, to worship him, but also to join him in the battle against sin. I'm very thankful we have this option. How should we fast? Okay, so we talked about when, how long, how should we fast? Again, I'm saying this a lot, so that it sticks. There's freedom in Christ when it comes to how we fast, all right? We see total and partial fasts in the scriptures, uh, the point is to do something that you will notice, something that will get your body and your mind's attention. And then use those times when you would have been eating or you would have been Facebooking or you would have been whatever it is for prayer, worship, reflection, serving somebody. Uh, 
take those times and, and dedicate those times to the Lord. So this isn't just about going hungry to show how tough you are. This isn't just sh about showing that you have enough self-discipline not to turn on that screen and do whatever it would have, that would have happened afterwards. There's a purpose. Uh, there should be. Uh, there's also, we're still talking about how should we fast. There's, there's also variance in the scriptures on who we fast with. Many fasts in the scriptures were a personal time between just one person and the Lord, but we also see whole groups of people fasting and, and at times even whole nations. A lot of people don't know this, but several U.S. presidents in our history have called for national fasts, Abraham Lincoln being one of the most noteworthy during the time of the abolition of the Civil War multiple times called for nationwide fast. This also happened uh, during a French invasion, I think in the 1500s. One of the kings uh, in England called for a fast. And, and um, don't quote me on the 1500. That may not be true. But I know John Wesley was around to see it. He actually wrote about it and said it was glorious. There, the churches were all overflowing. Now, of course, in a time of potential invasion, uh, you know, and everybody's stuff might get destroyed and everybody might die. Well, that, that sadly tends to be a time when people do turn to the Lord. But uh, he said this time of fast in the whole country, it was just, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't even get inside the doors of any of the churches, any of the towns. And uh, there was just, there was a, a peace over the place as the, the whole country came together and fasted for their safety. Uh, and then they got to rejoice, actually, because the, the French invasion ended up getting turned away, didn't, didn't happen. So, praise the Lord. Uh, I know that many of you already incorporate fasting into the rhythms of your life on a regular basis, and I just want to say to you that I honor you and I affirm you in that practice, because I know that's not easy. I know sometimes people might think it's weird. I know that uh, it, it can be tough, and it's not something that is, is often emphasized. And so if you're doing that, it's probably because you took it real seriously, took the time to study, and uh, put that before the Lord. And so if that's something that's been already regularly integrated into the rhythms of your life, then I just, I just want you to know that uh, that's awesome. Keep it up. Thank you for being an example for everyone else. Uh, I know a bunch of you already do, but I'm, I, I and we, the leadership here at Love City, we're asking each of you to fast in some way over the next few weeks. Uh, and, and so this is going to be a corporate fast where we all join together in faith for a unified spiritual purpose or purposes. And again, I want to say this, there's a lot of flexibility. You have freedom in Christ, okay, in how you fast. But the point is that you are abstaining from some otherwise good, permissible, or legitimate thing, okay? Don't, don't come to me in three weeks and say, Pastor Vince, I've fasted beating people up all three weeks, and I'm feeling good about it. Don't do that, because I'm going to make fun of you, okay, and tell you that wasn't real fasting, all right? Something that is permissible, something that is a good gift from God that, we're gonna, that we could, all intents and purposes, we, we could do that thing, and there'd be no issue. Whatever comfort it brings us, whatever good feeling it gives us, but we're going to set that aside in a time of dedicated prayer and seeking the Lord and, and, and worship and, uh, and humbling ourselves, all the purposes that I gave you, okay? So here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give you a list of things that we're asking you to be praying about, that we're all going to be praying about together as a church while we are fasting together. And so these are in no particular order in terms of importance. Uh, but we ask that when you feel hungry or bored, uh, depending on what you're fasting, or you have time that you normally wouldn't because you're fasting, 
that you bring these things before the Lord in prayer and, and that you know and take comfort in the fact that your brothers and sisters in Christ are doing the same thing. And there's, there's a lot of power and beauty in what happens when a group of people will unify uh, in faith and pray together for the same things. And so here are the things I'm asking you to have on this prayer list um, as we're going through this fast together. So the first is to pray uh, for our country. I'm not sure to what degree you pay attention to the news or pay attention to, you know, all the Hufflepuff out there, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot that uh, if you don't have a fairly strong confidence in Jesus as king who reigns over all this stuff, you could really be pretty scared. And uh, the reality is, though, that Jesus does sit as king, but, uh, and, and so that's how I go to sleep at night. But there's a lot of issues. There's probably not been a time for sure in my lifetime and, and maybe in many of yours where as a country we've been as divided as we are, as partisan as we are, as at each other's throats as we are. Um, you know, I've, <laughs> I've often said, and it's kind of silly, but, you know, um, I don't mind movies where like, you know, aliens show up and start shooting stuff with green lasers and whatnot. I, you know, kind of a sci-fi nerd to a degree. So uh, many times I've thought like really what we need as a country is for some aliens to drop in, right? Because then the Democrats, the Republicans, and the Libertarians would, would all be back-to-back -back fighting the predator or whatever it looks like, you know what I mean? Um, and, and what's really sad, though, is as, as humans, if we would just peel back our foolishness for a minute and look with spiritual eyes, we have a common enemy uh, who's wreaking a lot more havoc than, than aliens probably could. He's running around seeking whom he may devour and pulling as many as uh, away from the light of, of Jesus as he can. And so... Um, his, his name is Satan, and what we should do is, is link up arms and, and get, get busy fighting him together. And so um, would you just pray for our country? Pray that the walls of division that uh, Satan and his cohorts love to build between us, that, that we would find ways to dig under those or jump over those or knock those down, uh, that we would come together in that way. And would you pray just in general for revival in our land, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine brighter than it ever has. We've had, we've had many movements throughout time where in inexplainable ways, the presence and the message of Christ has swept our nation. And, um, you know, ultimately I think those things land in, in the hands of God. He is sovereign and he does that when he wants to. I don't think we necessarily can conjure that, but there's absolutely no reason we shouldn't be praying for it and asking for it and asking him to use us in it. And so, uh, if you pray for our country, if you would pray for our city, the city of Cincinnati, for gospel ministry, and I mean the greater Cincinnati area, um, that, gospel, that gospel ministry would grow here in scope, that uh, more solid, faithful, Bible-based churches would be planted, that more people would step up to the call of being light and salt in the world so that what I'm saying is that gospel ministry in its scope would grow, but also in its effectiveness. Not just that we have more things happening, but it's, it's, getting, it's hitting the mark as we're out here preaching the good news about Jesus, that it's actually reaching into the hearts of people, affecting life change, that people aren't just um, nodding their head yes to the message of Jesus, but laying down everything to then follow after him and teach others how to do the same. That we can have revival in our city. Um, that we would be effective in ministry, and, and that cooperation between Christians in our city would increase. That any divisions that we have, any, 
sense of competition. It's really, it's, it's just got to be disgusting in the eyes of our master that, um, that churches and Christians would ever see, as, see one another as, as competition. Um, we all are on one team, and that's Team Jesus. And Team Jesus is about one thing, getting the glory of his fame and the good news of his gospel into the ears and hearts of as many people as possible. And so I want to continue to grow in our ability as this church, but all churches, to link arms with others and to tell this good message and to preach this good news to people. So pray for our country, pray for our city. Uh, Would you pray for our church? Would you pray for new and creative ideas for how to reach the people of our city with the good news about Jesus? We're already doing a lot. We do a lot. We're, We're gonna keep doing the things we're doing, but there's always new and creative ways that we could be getting the gospel out to more folks. We have outreaches, but honestly, if I had my way, there, w- there would be folks from Love City out doing something in this city every single day of the week. And, and we have a very vibrant ministry to folks that are experiencing homelessness, but there's folks on all through the income spectrum that need to hear about Jesus. And so there are a lot more opportunities. There's a lot more ideas. Uh, and God has all those, and, and I'm just asking you to seek him for them. And not just that we would have new creative ideas of how to get this gospel to more people, but that we would have folks with the passion and the gifts to then take those ideas and propel them forward into reality. Um, I'm all about ideas and and meetings with ideas and whiteboards, and that's great, but I also get real frustrated when there's whiteboards full of stuff and no action. Can't do it. Don't just talk about it, be about it. Right? Amen. But that takes workers. And this is apparently a a frequent problem because Jesus himself said that the harvest is ready, it's ripe, but the workers are few. And so don't just pray that God would give us ideas. Don't just pray that God would send us more people with more passion and more gifts to accomplish this mission, but pray that he would stir up your passion and your gifts to accomplish this mission. You have a part to play in that. Many of you are. Um, I'm thankful for that, but there's always farther to go in Jesus. For that, I'm very thankful. He didn't leave us any chance to get bored. <laughs> it's a big mission out here. Go into all the world and preach the good news of this gospel. We're not done yet, friends. So in terms of praying for our church, those things, everything I just gave you, I'm going to ask everyone also to be praying for this building project that we're in, okay? So we're raising money to remodel this building. Uh, the projected goal is 150000 We've raised about 20% of that. We're just under 30000 which we're very thankful for. Been raising money for about a month. You can clap about that if you'd like to, because it's pretty cool. Um, so super thankful about that, but we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and you know, so it's, there's physical work in getting that building up, but there's also more fundraising to do and all of that. Uh, but we're very thankful and very encouraged. There's a lot of folks that are not even members or attenders of Love City uh, who have somehow come to believe that we're good ground to sow into. Either they've, they know somebody that's here or they've listened to the podcast. They've received gospel ministry from us in some way. And so there's people from Iowa. There's people from the Carolinas. There's, there's folks from, and I don't even know how some of them even hear about us, but uh, God is putting us on people's radar, putting us on people's hearts and stirring them uh, to help us financially. And so really thankful for that. Um, and I believe we are good ground to sow into. 
And I, I do know that God's opened up the opportunity for us to grab this space, and it's going to increase uh, our ability to be a lighthouse in this region and to push forward this gospel. So very thankful for all of that. Uh, so just pray for all the pieces of that. There's tons of gears that have to interlock together and all work <laughs> for that whole thing to happen. And so it is going to happen, um, but we just we need God's continual blessing on it, his help. And um, we, we know he is, but we're just asking you to pray and, and pray about what, what your part is. Because there are tons of people who aren't even members here who have given sacrificially, and there's a ton of people who are members here who we haven't seen anything yet. And the great hope is, if you're a part of this, that you're going to jump in and, and help us pay the price to get this done. So we're just asking you to pray. That's all we're ever going to say. We're asking you to seek God about what your part is. Um, and we're thankful for everything that God does in that. He already has done in miraculous ways we couldn't have anticipated. Open the door for this given us what we, the resources we've had thus far to work on it, I, there's not one piece of me that is worried about it at all. But if there's one piece of me that's worried, it's that some people might sit on the sidelines and say, oh, God will handle it when his intention was to use you as a part of it and the blessing that'll come in you participating in that way. So do with that what you will. Pray about it on your fast, okay? Amen. Uh, Still praying for our church, marriages, okay? We're going to ask you to bring marriages before the Lord as a special request and prayer. Why are we saying that? Well, we're saying that because in general, marriages are a crucial battlefield in which the enemy likes to try to undo the effectiveness of God's kingdom and God's church. And if Satan is effective in getting married couples uh, looking side-eyed at each other and seeing each other as an enemy and not working together, not pulling in the harness together to plow up these great fields of gospel ministry, uh, then a lot of potential forward progress can be slowed. And so in general, we know that keeping marriages covered in prayer, spurring each other on to continually invest in your, in, in your marriage and in the marriages of other people around you, that these are crucial elements of our overall mission to love God, love people, and make disciples. And so there's, there's, there's a general idea that this should always be a part of how we're praying. Uh, but in particular, and I don't know, I, I've talked to some other pastors, I, I don't know if it's just a season, I don't know if it's cultural, I don't know if it's primarily spiritual, and even if we've been under some kind of special assault from the forces of darkness, but we have seen struggle in this area. There's been a lot of folks who have been discouraged and who have felt like there wasn't any hope and uh, they've been beat down in this area. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I want to take the momentum and the power that comes in unified prayer and with a bunch of people fasting, and I want to aim it like a laser beam at the forehead of the enemy and back him up off the marriages in this church because I'm quite done with it, to be honest. So I'm asking you to kind of go to war with us on this. Start in your own home. If, if it's been lackadaisical at home, if you haven't been intentional with your marriage, if you haven't been intentional in pursuing your spouse and loving them well, during this fast, ask God to help you, empower you to stop being so selfish and get engaged in loving your spouse because it matters for the kingdom, okay? It's not just about the, your own little personal peace on your island. 
Because here's the reality, man. When you, be, when you became a Christian, you became a part of the body of Christ. You don't live on an island anymore. You're connected to all the rest of these people. And so the amount of effort you put into serving and loving your spouse and the health that cultivates in your marriage, it radiates out to the rest of the body. Okay, and so we have to be on guard in this. And so I'm asking you specifically as we fast together over the next several weeks to keep marriages lifted up in prayer, to keep your marriage lifted up in prayer. And if you're somebody and, and you're, you're saying, well, I'm not married, well, dear friend, if you're a part of the body of Christ, then everything I said about how key marriages are in God's overall plan of redemption still applies. And I'm asking you to care about it. I'm asking you to pray about it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Along those lines, just so you know, uh, this is the last sermon in this series. We are heading into a sermon series next week. Uh, it's called Marriage Exposed, A Raw View into Conflict and Covenant. And so this fast time that we're moving into is going to be in conjunction with a sermon series on marriage. And so hopefully that gives you an idea of how seriously we are taking uh, this fight and uh, this part of our overall mission to make much of Jesus and to see his kingdom grow. Marriages are a key element of this thing. And so we're going to focus on that. We're going to see what God's word has to say to us about it. We're going to keep it in prayer and uh, keep one another covered in prayer. And, and I'm hoping that uh, as you do that that, uh, that, that a love and a care and a concern is going to grow in all of our hearts, not only to protect each of our own marriages, but to invest in those around us and to keep them lifted up in prayer and to support them where we can. This is a, this is a team effort, man. Um, God's word describes us as, as one body. So when, when one part hurts, they all, they all hurt. When one part rejoices, they all rejoice. And we live in a pretty fragmented individualistic society in this day and age, and so it can be hard for us to live that out, but it's not impossible. And uh, the Lord Jesus, with the power of his Holy Spirit, can help us. Amen. So your marriage is going to be being prayed for. And so if you've been hanging on by a thread, dear friend, uh, just know you're going to have a bunch of people unified in faith, fasting and seeking God for the health of your marriage. And, and the hope is that we're all going to grow together in strength, fortify our homes and, and our relationships, and uh, that that's going to prepare us and put us in a place to be even more effective as gospel ministers, each one of us. Amen. I'm going to ask that um, also as we fast, that we pray for one another, that every time we feel the pangs of self-denial. So if you're fasting food, every time you feel that hunger pang. If you're fasting uh, some type of social media or entertainment or your phone or whatever you're doing, whenever you feel that like, ooh, I'd really like to do that or look at that or whatever the thing is, whenever you feel the pangs of self-denial, Will you pray that each one of us, and will you pray that you yourself will be reminded when that, when that pang, when you feel that, that pain that comes from self-denial, that you'll be reminded of the gospel and rejoice in it. And you might be saying, well, what? that's kind of a weird correlation, isn't it? I, I don't think it is at all, because if we understand the, the truth of the gospel, it's that each one of us are imperfect sinners, that none of us could be righteous on our own, and that that's why God sent Christ, who denied himself from the very moment he left the throne room of heaven to be born of a virgin, who was denying himself the entire time he walked this earth, and then in, in the most ultimate display of self-denial, allowed his holy hands to be nailed to a cross, bleeding out and dying on our behalf. 
to be mocked, to be the king and creator and, and let his very creation mock him. There, there is no greater picture of self-denial. And so every single time you feel the pang of self-denial as you're fasting, whatever you're fasting, I'm going to be hoping and praying for you. Will you hope and pray for me that my mind doesn't turn to, oh man, I'm so hungry or, oh man, I'm so miserable, but that my mind turns to the beautiful truth of the gospel, that my king, that my Jesus, he went first and he went farther than I could ever possibly go when it comes to self-denial, that he laid himself low, Philippians 2 says, took on the mind and the, the mindset of a servant, got low, put everything down in order that I may have life. And so as we fast, we should have a constant reminder. Will you be honest with me that this life, that, that all of what it takes to just keep our nose to the grindstone and, and make it through each day, that there's much to be distracted. There's, there's many times my mind and heart are pulled away from being ecstatic and overwhelmed with affection for Jesus and thankfulness for his gospel. But the hope is, whatever I'm denying myself in over the next few weeks, that every single time that, 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 that thing, you know, whatever I'm denying myself, that intersects and I, and I feel that, that my mind and my heart is going to be turned back to the beautiful truth that Jesus laid down everything to have me, to save me, to rescue me, to redeem me, to redeem us, and not just to save us to sit around, but to save us to send us on mission. What a good God. What a beautiful gospel. May your hearts and minds be filled with it as we fast together. May we be a people who embrace and practice the spiritual discipline of fasting, first for God's glory, but also for our good. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you so much for uh, your word being full of examples of people fasting that we can see all of these different purposes that it can have. Thank you for uh, the grace that you've given us to be able to participate in this spiritual discipline. I thank you that it is by grace that we can. I thank, I thank you, God, that we're not in an age at this moment and at this time where we're commanded to fast, but we get to see it as a privilege and participate in it as such. Thank you, Lord. We're not doing this under duress. This is something that we desire, Lord. And for those of us that are struggling to desire it, God, I ask that you would help us cultivate that desire. Come and move in us by your spirit, Lord, that Hunger and thirst for you would be our great desire. Lord, we, we're hungry and thirsty for a lot of things. There's a lot of things that grab our attention. There's a lot of things that overwhelm our hearts and motives and our minds. There's a lot of desires that pull us to the right and to the left. But God, we're asking that you would, just especially in these next few weeks, as we as your church fast together, that you would unify us in a hunger and a thirst for you, that, that those other things... They've never really been able to satisfy, but God, we ask that in this time you would open our eyes so we can see and understand. Lord, help us taste again the sweetness of your presence and your wisdom and, and your instruction. God, so that all these other lesser things, they, they taste bitter to us, that they have no appeal. Lord, yours is the sweetest taste. God, I ask that uh, you would empower every single person that... that joins in to participate in, in fasting, God, that you would, you would empower them to push back any fears and anxieties that, that this may cause. God, I ask that you would push by the power of your spirit condemnation far from our minds. May this not be some time to try to prove how dedicated we are, but God, may it be a joyful time of just pressing in closer to you, getting to hear your voice clear, being able to declare as we deny our flesh our great love 
and our passion for you and our passion for your mission. God, I, I pray right now for our city and for our country, for our church, God. All these things that I've asked my friends, my brothers and sisters here to be praying for, I lift those things up to you now. I begin to set those at your feet now and ask you, God, to move in these things, to show your hand, to show the might and strength that you bring to situations. God, I pray for every single marriage, not only of members and attenders here at Love City, but all the marriages that their lives connect to and touch and influence, God, we, we need your help in this. We know that we're constantly under attack to, to be selfish and to be about our own needs, but Jesus, you've shown us a better way. Help us to take that way. Help us to see that we're not isolated, that you've placed us into your body, and that means we're connected. That means with the choices we make and what we do matter. It doesn't just affect us. Lord, I thank you for the gift of fasting. I thank you for all that you're going to do as we embark on this together. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to stay focused on that primary purpose. There's all these other purposes, and they're all legitimate, but there is a primary purpose to us embarking on this journey of fasting together, and that is to bring you glory. And that's because the reason that's the primary purpose is because that's the primary purpose of our existence is to bring you glory. So Lord, may we rejoice that we get to have that as our purpose. There is no greater or higher for you. There is no one greater or higher than you. You are glorious and wonderful. You are majestic and holy and mighty and worthy of all of our worship. So God, we bow before you and we ask for your help in these things. We thank you for hearing our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.